Well, hey, welcome to the Caleb Mason podcast. I'm your host, Caleb Mason. I'm super excited for you to be here today. We have a great episode for you today. Today, I'm talking with Beth and Jeff McCord, and they are the authors of Becoming Us. And it's a book about the Enneagram, and it is super good. It's called, The subtitle is Using the Enneagram to Create a Thriving Gospel-Centered Marriage. But really, I think the conversation that we're going to talk about applies a lot more, um, or not just to marriage, but to more um, any relationship that you really might have. And it will help in, uh, gain your understanding of the Enneagram as well. And if you're not familiar with the Enneagram, it's it's kind of a personality system. But for, for me and my uh, just my thoughts, the Enneagram is one of the best personality um, tests. And I even hesitate to call it a test, um, but it's really it really has helped me gain more self-awareness into who I am and how I'm wired and why I do the things that I do, which is, I think is why uh, this conversation is going to be um, such a great conversation as well. But before we get into more of that, I want to let you know that the music that you're listening to is provided to you by my good friend, Sam Massey. And if you have any needs for any uh, musical music needs or any video needs, Sam is your person. He, he actually has... Um, you know, he has a great YouTube channel as well. And so Sam is definitely, and uh, he has some pretty great music as well. And so you can find him on a bunch of different music platforms and you can find him on uh, on YouTube as well. And so uh, any needs that you have, Sam is your person to get all of that stuff from. Now, as I mentioned, we're having Beth and Jeff McCord on the podcast today. And Beth is actually the founder of Your Enneagram Coach. She's an Enneagram speaker, coach, and teacher. And really, she's been doing that for over 17 years. She is passionate about coming alongside individuals and helping them rewrite their story, allowing them to see that lasting change, meaningful relationships, and a life of deep purpose is possible. And this passion is what drove her to create this community, a safe place for individuals to explore the Enneagram. And that's exactly what we're going to do on the podcast today is we're going to explore and learn a little bit more about the Enneagram with Jeff and Beth McCord. Jeff and Beth, welcome to the Learner's Corner podcast. We're super excited to have you here today. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks, Caleb. We're looking forward to it. Yeah, you recently authored this book called Becoming Us, Using the Enneagram to Create a Thriving Gospel-Centered Marriage, and we want to talk with you about that. But before we get into you know details of the Enneagram and all of that good stuff, why don't, why don't you just walk us through the story of how the both of you met? Yeah. Well, Beth and I met when we were 18 years old, uh, and we were both attending the University of Kansas. 
Uh, this was back in 1994, if I'm not mistaken. And so we started dating right at the end of our freshman year. Um, and I was a pretty passionate, intense guy and pretty much said, my intention is to propose to you soon. And this was on our second date. (laughs) (laughs) Beth's like, whoa, slow your roll. Although she didn't say that at the time. We didn't have that language. But um, what that did mean is that we we really decided that uh, we were going to be intentional about our relationship. And so then after that summer, we came back and uh, ended up getting married 13 months later after our sophomore year. Um, we both had a desire to go into ministry and, um, yeah, to see our marriage kind of given over for the sake of other people. Um, but you know, if you've been married longer than a honeymoon, you realize what you thought was going to be a beautiful ballroom dance ends up becoming twister and, um, your heart having trouble, uh, finding one another in the midst of it. And, uh, it was really in that context and Bethy, I'm thinking about our years at covenant seminaries when we really needed some help. Yeah, absolutely. We, we just didn't understand each other and ourselves and we didn't know how to have better communication. Our conflict was not helpful. We couldn't resolve things very easily. And then we added two kids by the age of 25, which only added to the complex, you know, and the weariness. Um, And so I knew I needed help. I knew we needed help. And I was just begging God for some kind of instruction manual on Jeff, you know, like, how can I understand him? And I'm sure he was thinking the same thing. Um, And that's about the time when our friends introduced us to the Enneagram. And Jeff being in seminary at the time was inundated with lots of books and studying. So he kind of thumbed through the Enneagram book and found it intriguing, but that's about as far as he went. Whereas for me, I dove headlong into it and just devoured it, especially after finding my main type, which is the type nine, because type nines know ourselves the least. It's like we have this internal fog. We don't really know what we want because we're always accommodating to other people. And so just to have language that clarified for myself what was going on internally so that I could also communicate that to Jeff was huge. It changed how we related to each other, how we uh, talked to each other, how we interacted in our uh, conflicts. And of course, it didn't just happen overnight, but over the years, continually to learning about ourselves and then giving clarifying statements or asking clarifying questions was really huge for our relationship. Mm-hmm. And so it was probably around 2008 is when we started. Um, so I was a pastor in the local church um, and Beth and I started to sit down with couples at our dining room table, uh, sharing kind of what the biblical truths about marriage uh, and then uh, insights from the Enneagram. And so really becoming us is the overflow of the last decade of using the tool of the Enneagram and our Christian worldview and helping couples out uh, who are really trying to find each other and the relationship that they always long for. Mm-hmm. So Beth, can you take me back to what those initial conversations looked like whenever you're trying to introduce this, <laughs> this concept to Jeff? Because, you know, if you don't know very much about the Enneagram, it's, it sometimes can sound a little bit weird to some people. And so like, what, mm-hmm. what did those initial conversations look like? And especially you going like, Hey, here's who I am. 
and as the Enneagram type nine and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, one, I think Jeff was probably just relieved to have some sort of communication going on <laughs> because as a nine, <laughs> I would want to avoid any kind of tension or conflict or anything that just wasn't peaceful. And so I think he was just really enjoying the fact that I had like something to say and some clarity, but I think a lot of it was, Hey, you know, when I acted like that, or when I said that, of course, usually you don't want to do it in the moment. <laughs> usually in the moment it doesn't quite work right. Um, but like reflecting on it later, like, Hey, you know, when we were in that conversation or I reacted that way, this is what was really going on inside me, or this is what I was thinking or feeling. And he didn't even know that. And that's the thing about the Enneagram is it's showing you that there's nine perspectives on life and circumstances. We think we all see the world the same way, but in fact, it's like we all have different sunglasses on with different colored shades. And it was so eye-opening for him to go, wait, what? Like you experienced that that way? Like, wow, I, I never knew that you struggled that way. Or I wish I had known this sooner. And so those were the kind of conversations. So just bringing clarity. This is what I thought. This is what I felt. This is um, a little bit more clarity on what's going on, but also for him to have questions that he could ask. And now I had the language to go, oh yeah, actually I read about that and that's true. Here's actually what I think is going on. Whereas before I'd been like, I don't know. Like it's just that just is the way it is. And that just doesn't help anything if I'm just like, <laughs> I don't know. You know. So we just really started to dive deeper into these kind of conversations. Mm -hmm. So Jeff, you write about in the book how you initially kind of mistyped yourself as an eight and eventually, you know, discovered that you were a six. What did that whole process look like <laughs> for you? Um, it meant that I didn't know myself, that's for sure. <laughs> um, so, you know, early on, uh, I dabbled, uh, whereas Beth dove in. And I think like uh, what we've noticed, uh, usually uh, for couples, um, there's at least one reluctant spouse. And my uh, experience was probably not much different. One, I was afraid of being put into a box of that, oh, now I've got, let's say, my Myers-Briggs or um, my desk, and people are just going to presume that they understand me. And then I think number two, um, that because the Enneagram can be a little revealing and exposing, um, I was afraid to admit what I was really scared of. And so for years, uh, I had developed, just over my lifetime really, uh, a pattern of being provocative, of testing loyalties, of kind of being strong. And I loved the idea of being innate. I loved the idea of being what I perceived to be a strong personality type that was um, resilient to the difficulties or pains that uh, we might experience from other people. And it, it took actually um, going to a pastoral intensive in Dallas, Texas, when um, a therapist just said, Jeff, I don't think you're an eight. I think you're a six. And I was pissed. <laughs> I was so mad. <laughs> and so honestly, I put the Enneagram down for a year. 
because I did not want to admit to other people, one, that I was wrong, and number two, that I was really that scared inside. But to be honest with you, one of the most significant things that's really impacted our marriage is by recognizing how my core fears and desires and all those core motivations have impacted our marriage. So by not recognizing it, I was perpetuating unhealthy patterns in my relationships, but by accepting that reality and learning how to manage it, it's actually changed everything for me. Mm-hmm. But both of you talk a little bit more about the, the self-acceptance that needs to come with owning it. Because like I've talked with people about the Enneagram too, and they're like, oh, I, whether it be like, hey, I think I am an eight, but I think I'm a two. Or, you know, stuff, (laughs) stuff like that to where it's like, well, I wish I was this type because of you see the core motivations and you see, you see the, the fear that comes with a lot of that stuff. And you go, I don't want to, like, I don't want to be that. It's like, you're shining a spotlight on like the the darkest part of our souls and people go, I don't want to do that. But talk to us about like what, what uh, self-acceptance and gaining that looked like for the both of you. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think most people need to realize is that when we find our type, it's going to be really uncomfortable. And a lot of times we want to run away from it or we feel a great shame, maybe a self-condemnation, um, but we don't need to, but that's just what we're going to naturally do. Cause it's like, see the Enneagram is a non-judgmental friend and just says it like it is like, mm-hmm. here's what you're like when you're doing really well and you're healthy. And this is what you're like when you're not. And it's just right there in front of you. So it's really hard to swallow at first. And that's just normal and natural. But what we want people to see is how God has created them uniquely with their personality type to reflect him first and foremost. Though, yes, we're on this side of heaven and we struggle. We have all those things. But but we have so many beautiful attributes to contribute. So though even Jeff, when he saw that he was a type six and it upset him, He's come to see how beautiful and amazing the gifts of, of a six can be when it, they sh- when they show up in a healthy way. But now he uses the Enneagram, the other parts of the Enneagram, as like a rumble strip on the highway to alert our hearts. Like, oh wait, I'm veering off course, kind of like on the highway, that rumble strip. Awaken to the fact that I'm veering off course and I might fall into those same common pitfalls time and time again. But we don't have to bring shame on ourselves or condemnation, we can own it, repent, and then come back to God and say, would you direct me back into the healthiest uh, path for my personality type? And that brings a lot of freedom and grace to see that, yes, every personality at their healthiest is the best. And every personality at their worst is the worst. No one gets a pass. We all need the grace of God to move forward. You know, and I I think uh, in my experience and accepting who I am, you know, it's interesting that the way that the Bible begins with this idea, first, we were made in the image of God, that there's something inherently good about us. But then after Adam and Eve make their mistakes and sin, um, they, they immediately hide themselves. They run from one another. And so there's this tension that we face as people is that we want to believe that there's something good about us, but we don't want to admit to the bad things that are happening about us. So it's like, do I really want to discover any of it? Mm-hmm. Because I, I really wonder if there's anything good in me. And what we, what we find that as we come to, we allow others 
to treat us the way we want to be treated. And so why self-awareness is so important is because I can find in me some self-sabotaging behaviors that are harming my relationships, but also recognize that there's a good part of me that I is a gift to other people, and I'm more confident than to uh, gift other people the joy of being with me, and I can offer a better part of my heart to cultivate the relationships that I long for. Talk a little bit more about that statement that you said is that we allow ourselves to be treated the way that we want to be treated. Like why I talk a little bit more about that and why that's so. Yeah. Um, so, you know, like Beth said that, you know, the Enneagram is telling us that we have nine particular lenses. And so our Enneagram type, part of it is, uh, is a way that we approach the world. And so for years I tried to get Beth to think like a six. I want her to affirm that the world is not safe and that it's right to be anxious about the potential of negative things happening in the future uh, and to be as anxious about it as I am. I wanted her to see the world according to my perspective. Well, we coach them, one another, to treat us that way. So a two is coaching other people to need them because a two wants to be needed. And uh, an eight wants you to feel perhaps maybe intimidated uh, because they don't want you to get too close uh, for fear that they might experience betrayal. A nine will coach you to dismiss their voice because they don't think their voice really matters. And what the Enneagram also does is that it shows you, no, you actually have value and that a nine actually has a voice and has something to give to others. And so rather than hiding their voice and coaching other people um, to dismiss their voice, that the invitation for a nine is to speak and to find out that their voice really does matter. But in order for that to happen, the nine has to believe first that their voice matters. The two has to believe that they're loved and so that they are less dependent upon other people, uh, showing other people their love in order to get love. Wow, I'm just sitting here, and I'm and I'm pro- I'm thinking of people <laughs> that I, I'm thinking of people that I know right now, and you know one of the things that I've that I've been thinking about whenever it comes to the enneagram is this idea of you know I think each type has a way that they try to control their situation and even the people in the in their lives, and that just sounds like. Wait, it sounds like what you're talking about right there. Do either That's one right. of you have any other thoughts on that? Yeah, like a type. I mean, we Beth and I call it walking the wheel. That we just start applying a principle to all the types. And so, I'll take type three, and then Beth can take one. Type, take one. But type threes um, lose themselves in order to put on the image, and so their pattern is to kind of tell you their a, accomplishing or successful resume so that you'll think more of them. But the more that you think of them, the more they're caught up in the image. Whereas what it would mean to love a three well is to love them for simply being them. But they're going to be bothered by that because they themselves don't think they're lovable unless they're successful. Beth, what type would you take? Well, I mean, I think if we just 
because you've already done, you know, several, we'll just keep going kind of around the wheel. So four, you know, fours feel different and misunderstood and they really do put on a unique persona. Well, not, it's not really a persona, but like they're trying to show their authentic self from a unique perspective is what I meant to say. Um, But in doing so, that uniqueness creates uh, some disconnection from others. That uniqueness creates a misunderstanding um, because of the complexities and the depth with inside them. And so when people don't understand them, they feel like there's something defective and flawed. And so for the fours to recognize that it's okay to um, speak and do things that are more um, principled and grounded and systematic and speak in a way that is clear and not so heavy and being unique to give people the opportunity to truly get to know them on a deeper level and to, to actually see and know and experience that they're absolutely loved for exactly who they are. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about how you use the Enneagram, and we've talked about it a little bit, but how do you use the Enneagram in your relationship or whenever it comes to like having healthy dialogue around, you know, around helping the relationship continue to grow? Like, what does that look like for the both of you? Yeah, I can start off on this one, sweetie. Um, there are a couple of things that um, we learned from uh, the writings on emotional intelligence, that um, there is something about what I bring to the relationship, that to be able to manage what's happening inside of me in my perception, and then what's happening in regards to the relationship. So there's an I and a we. And so whenever what the Enneagram helps me to do is to own the reality that I bring certain core motivations to my relationship with Beth or to my relationships with friends, colleagues, or whoever, and that I am responsible for my part in the relationship. And then, but I can, I'm also trying to manage how I experience another person. So not only am I a six, but I experience other people as a as a type six, it goes through my lens. And so if I'm not um, careful enough, I can allow assumptions about other people's motives or behaviors or thoughts and start to project or make up stories in my mind about how I think people are relating to me, which is entirely not true. And I end up harming the relationship because I've assumed wrong motives because I've never asked real questions about what's happening in their hearts. And I'm not really sure what's actually happening in mine. Beth, how would you, what else would you say about that? Yeah. I mean, like for me, I would say I kind of do the same thing, but it's from the lens of a nine where I think that everyone else thinks that my presence doesn't matter or that you know, what I have to say isn't going to really impact anything. So I yield to everyone else. Um, And that kind of perpetuates the problem until I learn that, no, my presence and voice does matter and use it in a way that is going to really help our relationship with clarity and honesty. Mm -hmm. So I love your descriptions or how you label each. And I know we don't want to we don't want to label people, but I love how you write and have the kind of the two word descriptions of each type. And so I was just wondering, would you be able to go through, you know, and kind of give your two labeled description of each type and then maybe go ahead and go along with, you know, what are maybe one or two things that 
you know, maybe each type should consider in a relationship and for those who are in a relationship with that type, consider as well. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, so the name descriptions that I use come from a teacher. Her name is Catherine Faber. So I just want to put a shout out for her because um, I loved the names that she used. And so I adopted those. I know a lot of people use some of the other um, names, but I like the two name descriptor because it really reflects the personality quite well. So the type one or the moral perfectionist and for other people to interact with them in relationship is to, for them to understand that the ones see the world in black and white, right and wrong morals, procedures that need to be done precisely accurate. And when they're not done, their inner critic berates them set so that they or others fix it and it won't let up until it's done. And what the ones are doing, they're being the responsible adult and doing everything's right. And they want to, others to see that they're being good. And the type two is a supportive advisor. And what people need to realize about the two is that they think earning love or receiving love is a give to get system. It's not unconditional. So they think that they have to help serve and care for others in one form or another in order to receive appreciation and love for what they do. And so they spend a lot of time observing and intuitively knowing what people's needs are and then inserting their help confidently. Um, so that's a big difference between, I know twos and nines can get kind of confused. Twos are inserting themselves, nines are there. If you would like them, they'll accommodate. They're not going to insert um, themselves. Now the type threes, they're the successful achievers and being in a relationship with them, you're going to want to know that it's all about their persona, their image. They feel desperate that others will see that they're successful, um, that they're admirable. And so they'll put on a polished persona and maybe even embellish the truth from, you know, time to time so that others will think highly of them. And so to interact with them is to show, to reflect back to them that you love them for just being them. They don't have to earn it. And the type fours is the romantic individualist. And to understand them in relation, when your relationship with them, the fours think they um, need to be special, unique, and their most authentic self because they fear being just like everyone else, uh, defective, flawed, insignificant. And so fours struggle thinking that they have something defective in them and that others, um, and that others uh, possess qualities that they lack. And so it's really helpful if a person that is in relationship with a four reflects back to them that they are loved and seen for exactly who they are, special and unique. Now the type five is the investigative thinker and they, to be in relationship with them, you really gotta understand that the type fives have a internal battery life that is pretty low. So you know how like you have your cell phone, you plug it in all night and you wake up hoping that it's at 100%. Well, the type five's battery life is about 20 to 25% for interacting with others throughout the whole day. So they have to ration this out and they'll set up some pretty hard boundaries because if your phone is at like 5%, they're not, you're not going to like stream live anything with anyone, right? You're going to, mm -hmm. you know, reserve the last battery for the rest of the day. And that's what a five is doing. They need to reserve their inner resources in fear of catastrophic depletion. So understanding their internal world and boundaries is very helpful. Now the type six is the loyal guardian and to be in relationship with them is to understand anxiety. Now all types can be anxious, 
but the type six has an inner committee, whereas the type one we talked about had one loud inner critic. The six has an inner committee that is chiming in with all the things that could happen, especially worst case scenarios, to help them prevent what could happen. And it brings a lot of chaos and confusion and self-doubt. So the sixes are constantly looking outside themselves with trusted mentors, teachers, belief systems that they can rely on to guide them and to help them feel secure. Now the type seven is our entertaining optimist. And you need to understand that they feel a great emptiness inside. And they feel like they have to constantly fill it up with exciting stimulation, fun, and all sorts of different things that bring a lot of delight and joy because they're wanting to be satisfied and content. But it's like they have an empty bucket inside and they're filling it up, but it's like that has holes at the bottom. And so here you might give them something, oh, they'll be happy and satisfied. Well, then they'll just want something more and more and more because of this empty, uh, the empty holes inside. So what we want is for them to feel um, blessed by what they already have and to savor what they have and that brings them more contentment. Now the type eights, they're the protective challengers and they fear being betrayed, blindsided, at the mercy of injustice. And so you'll find them being pretty strong and um, reactive if they think any of those things are gonna happen. But you need to understand that they have a really sensitive side inside, um, inside them because they have put up a wall because of past wounds and betrayals. But deep down, they're actually big hearted and generous and want to plow a path for others. So if we can just harness that and get behind them, man, they can do some amazing, amazing things for us. And the type nines, which is my type, are the peaceful mediators. And to understand in relationship with a nine is to understand that they hate conflict. And we're not talking about just big old arguments, any tension. You know, like if you throw just a pebble in a water and there's ripple effects, that's tension, people. Or if you throw a huge rock, like a huge argument, that's definitely tension and conflict. So we just want this peaceful, serene world. Now, I know it sounds idealistic, but that's what they're looking for. And so they will merge with others or they will forego knowing themselves to go along to get along to keep the peace. So we want nines to know that, no, your voice, your presence, your opinions, your thoughts, desires matter. And I want to know more about them. And so those are the nine types and the ways that you can kind of know a little bit on how to relate with them. Mm -hmm. So in the book, you have this statement that says, learning to communicate and resolve conflict with your spouse is a lot less about getting it right and more about gaining the emotional awareness to know what is happening in us and them. So what are some practices that the both of you apply that help you become more aware of like what's happening, what you're feeling internally, and then what's happening in your partner as well? Yeah. Yeah. So we, um, uh, over the years, we've actually, uh, it's culminated into borrowing something from emotion focused therapy that we call the dance. And it's uh, simply four simple concepts to help name and to describe what's actually happening inside of us. And so whatever, whatever that incident may be that caused the situation, uh, marriage researcher John Gottman says that 70% of arguments don't have a right or wrong answer in a marriage that it's purely a matter of preference or personality. And so, but the relational dynamics are really what get us hung up. And so whenever there's an incident, let's say it could be the dishwasher doesn't get unloaded. And I have, number one, thoughts and feelings about that. 
And so the more I'm aware of what's actually happening inside of me, the more that I can change my behavior and how I react to it. Because number two, there are certain behaviors could be words that I say to Beth or choose not to say to Beth, whether I withdraw and look away from it or whether I criticize my family for not unloading the dishwasher, I have a choice to make. But that choice is going to be determined by what's happening in my heart. Well, then uh, thirdly is understanding how this situation is impacting Beth. And so how is she thinking and feeling about it? And then number four, what it is that she's doing in relation to, in, uh, relation to this original incident. And so the more that I may, we are able to reflect upon, okay, um, not having the dishwasher emptied. What am I feeling? Am I feeling angry? Why am I angry? Uh, what is, what are, how does that perceive through the lens of my Enneagram type? And then what am I inclined to do? And so what that's come down to is that for Beth and I, we often use a language of, hey, uh, help me understand what's going on inside for you. And what are you inclined to do because of that? And what that does is that it kind of thwarts the unhealthy patterns of, why didn't you unload the dishwasher? Or is anyone ever going to take care of me since I do so much for everyone? You know, those are harsh startups, as John Gottman calls it, and it only sets things up for conflict versus, hey, you seem a little angry. Tell me more about it. And what are you inclined to do since this didn't happen? And all of a sudden, we're connecting in conflict versus just fighting at one another's expense. Yeah, a lot of times we'll talk about the incident as being outside us, kind of like if, let's say, you have a TV remote and it's between the two of you on the ground. Think of that as the incident. And Jeff and I will talk about an incident as if it's in the middle of us versus at each other. And okay, so when you said that at that one moment, it landed on me this way. So from my personality type, it landed on me this way. This is how I perceived it and I thought about it. And that's why I reacted this way. Um, did I get that wrong? Did, did you mean it something in a totally different way or what, what was your intentions? And usually this goes better when you're not in the moment, right? You're not in a heated moment, <laughs> but it puts the incident outside the both of you to be objective, to come alongside each other instead of at each other. And so then we can say, yeah, this is how I perceived it. This is how I thought. And the other person can be like, you know, I'm sorry. You know, that's not what my intentions were, but I can see how that would have landed on you that way. Is there another way I could have said or done that? that would have reflected what my intentions were in a way that your personality would have absorbed better. And that's just really helpful because the things that I need are totally different than the things that Jeff needs. And I wouldn't understand that without him bringing that clarity to me and vice versa. Mm -hmm. So what, give some advice to the person who, you know, maybe they're interested in the Enneagram, you know, they've, they've learned about themselves. But just as you were saying earlier, Jeff, that there, that there could sometimes tend to be someone in the relationship who is reluctant to, you know, get to go into self-discovery and self-awareness and actually discover their type. What advice would you give to the person who's like, okay, my husband or my wife or this, uh, this person that I'm in a relationship with is just does not seem interested in learning about themselves and their type in the Enneagram. Like, what would you say to that person? 
Yeah, I think I've come down to three words that capture um, capture that. And uh, the three words are kindness, safety, and patience. Um, number one, I, just be kind. Uh, oftentimes people don't want to dive into personality things because they think they're going to be put in a box and um, they're going to be presumed upon because they've identified as a particular type. So, oh, now you're an extrovert. So you just want to be around people. And that's not helpful. And so being kind uh, with people about it and not pressuring people. Well, um, also, Jeff, we talk about it not being a sword and a shield. You can explain that. That's right. Yeah, we, we, we jokingly say don't use the Enneagram as a sword or a shield. Uh, don't use it as a sword by using it to accuse people. Oh, you're just being a six. You must be anxious right now all the time. I hate anxious people. That's using it as a sword. But don't use it as a shield. Oh, I couldn't do that. I'm a six. I'm too scared to do it. Where we use the Enneagram to defend our behavior and not grow. Um, so the second word that, that, I'm, that I'm mindful of is, uh, is safety. Um, and that gets back to the sword uh, idea is that sometimes we'll use this uh, to criticize or to kind of provoke those who are important to us. So we want them to find their type so that we can fix them or uh, get them to do what we want them to do. Um, and then thirdly is patience. Um, you know, if you spend time doing your own work, be, do, uh, wrestling with the dynamics of your own heart, what eventually comes to pass is that you're, those who are around you start to see the benefits of your time learning about the Enneagram. So if you'll just remain patient, um, usually the work that you do for yourself will end up bearing fruit in the lives of your relationships and those around you. What have the both of you uh, seen through just talking with people and all of that that most people don't know about the Enneagram, but should really pay attention to whenever it comes to the Enneagram. Mm, yeah. Well, I think a lot of people, I, I mean, there are a lot of people that are getting used to the Enneagram. Um, and so that's great. But a lot of people are so used to some of the other personality um, systems that they think it's about their behavior. And so when they read descriptions about the Enneagram types, they're looking at the outward manifestations. And that's the opposite of what the Enneagram is about. The Enneagram is about why you think, feel, and behave in particular ways. So we talk about that as the core motivations. So if anyone's trying to find their type, that's actually what they're wanting to look at is the core motivations. And there are four of them that we really focus in on, the core fear, the thing that you're always running away from, the core desire, what you're always trying to obtain, the core weakness, which is like your Achilles heel, the thorn in your side, and then the core longing, the message your heart has always longed to hear from others and you're still longing for it. And so we have a free um, PDF on this at your Enneagram forward slash core motivations. So anyone could download that and just see out of all nine types in their core motivations, why do you get activated in negative and positive ways? What is going on inside? And that I would say is paramount first in finding your type but then also knowing why you do what you do in your relationships so that you can clearly communicate that to the person you have a relationship with. It's funny. I was in a, in a Starbucks recently with my friend Todd and we were talking with one of the, 
uh, the baristas who we've become friends with and we were talking about the Enneagram and everything. And she was convinced that she was a nine mm. and she's actually an eight. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and we were just talking and we were listening to her talk and it's like, it is exactly what you were saying, Beth. We can hear the motivation behind your words and why you're doing what you're doing. And it is the exact yeah. opposite of, of the nine. It's the eight. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, that's yes. not a common mistyping. Really? It's, it can, <laughs> that's it, right. It can be, it's more common for a, well, no, that's just not a, that's not a common. I'm a nine with an eight <laughs> wing. And so I can exhibit some characteristics of the eight for sure. And eights with a nine wing can exhibit some of the characteristics of nine, but yeah, they're, they're, they're pretty different. Like at their core. <laughs> yes. Sure. Yeah. Yep. Talk about, uh, actually one, one other thing I want to uh, talk with you about real quick is can you talk about how the motivation plays out, especially whenever it comes to, you know, going into a, and going into like your growth type or your stress type as well, because that's something that whenever I'm talking with people, it's almost like they, they talk about how like they become like for me, I'm a three. So like how I become like a six whenever I'm moving to growth or become like a nine whenever I'm moving mm -hmm. like stress. Can you talk a little bit about that and how like our core motivation doesn't really change? Right. Yeah. So we call that Enneagram paths because those are the paths that we take. But here's one thing that a lot of people aren't fully aware of that we actually take the healthy, there's a healthy path to both those numbers you're connected to. So if people are like, what are you even talking about? If you look at the symbol of the Enneagram, all of the personality types have two lines that connect to two different personality types from off of their main type. Now you always have your core motivations, your main type, why you do what you do. That never changes. But when you are growing, you are going to take on certain attributes from one of the personality types. Now, like I said, you use both healthy from both those types, but you're talking specifically about a growth path. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, so you will take on some of the healthy attributes of a type six and a type three. So it's not like you just abandoned a ship of the three. Yeah. You can't move to a healthy um, attributes of a six unless you yourself are also at a healthy three place. So it's a both and. Mm -hmm. um, but also when you're in stress and you're moving to the average to the unhealthy parts of the nine, because that's the other line you're connected to, then you also are struggling as a type three. It can't be mm -hmm. like, oh, I'm doing great as at the type three level, but then, or a type three type, but then I'm struggling at the type nine. That's not how it works. Mm -hmm. It's a lateral move. So for those that are interested, that's what's so great about the Enneagram is it doesn't just tell you your type. It's literally showing you where your, des your healthiest destination is and what it looks like when you veer off course. So we call it an internal GPS. And so your current location, just like you would use in your GPS in the car, is your main type. And your current location always remains your current location. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so that doesn't change. Um, and so as a type three, you now know, oh, as a type three, this is what it looks like to be at my healthiest. That's the path I need to go down. Though it's really hard, but that's the path I need to go down. But you also have things that derail you. And that's the path of stress and uh, moving down the levels of health. And so we wanna use the Enneagram as a rumble strip on the highway, like I talked about earlier, so that when you're veering off course or you're about to, it can alert you and say, do you really wanna do that? 
like when you did that yesterday or a month ago, you landed into that same pit. You really want to do that? And then obviously we don't. And so we want to, okay, well, so then what is a, a move of growth? And that's what we want to move forward in. Mm -hmm. So I want to ask you about something that I've been thinking one of our concerns, the Enneagram, is, uh, is whenever it comes to stress, is it like for me in the nine, like I tend to go towards the nine and I can sometimes, you know, if I'm not handling stress well, you know, it could take on the negative characteristics of both the three and the nine. But would the, and would the proper response be of thinking like how, like I'm trying to think through how a nine would respond well whenever it comes to stress, like would that be the healthy path or is my question well, making sense? I think so. Um, are you saying, so what is, what, how does the nine move towards three and six? Is that what you're... Uh, I guess I'm asking, like whenever a three is under stress and whenever mm -hmm. we respond negatively to a stress, we tend to take on the negative characteristics of a nine. But I think, right. you know, not all, not all stress is bad. And yeah. so like whenever a three is under stress and we're responding to stress in a healthy way, would that look more like the healthy side of the nine or more like the six? I think it can't, that's, I don't know if I've ever really conceptualized that. Um, so I'm trying to even think in my mind, what does healthy stress look like? Um, no, I, okay. So I'm thinking, so as a three, when you, there, there's going to be both sides. Okay? okay. So one, the healthy side of a three is being genuine and authentic. Mm -hmm. That's for the three. Then when you're also in moving to the six, you're moving towards courage and it's now no longer about me and my success. It's about our success. Mm -hmm. It's the team. It's the family. But you also can't do those two things without also bringing the healthy attributes of nine, mm -hmm. which for the three, what that means is they learn how to be. So the type three thinks that they, instead of being, um, a goer, a doer, we want them to be a human being, yeah. to be, to be at rest, to just be authentic. And so those three actually work very well together at those healthiest levels. And bringing all three of those attributes into you is literally the pinnacle of operating out of a healthy side of three. Mm -hmm. And does it, do you see that playing out similarly to the other types too? Yeah. So if I were to take my type, type nine, so the nines, again, we don't feel like our presence matters. So we usually hide in the background and might not, you know, move forward in a direction that maybe we should. But as a healthy nine, first and foremost, I realize that my presence matters and my opinions, my calling, all of those things matter. So I want to move and engage with life and do what's right. Um, and so I have to have confidence like a three, but this isn't an arrogancy because nines will think of that in that way. This is a confidence that I've been created with good gifts that I need to give to others. And also moving to the high side of six means that I have the courage in adversity to keep moving forward because nines, when they hit a, <laughs> a speed bump, let's just say, we're like, eh, I guess we'll stop, you know, like that's just not worth it. I don't want to be bothered. 
But at this healthiest level, we see our calling to bless ourselves and others. We have the confidence. And then with the six, the courage to move through that ad adversity. So again, those, um, those are the lines that I'm connected to and bringing in the healthiest aspects of my own type and those two types really bring me at the most healthiest place for me. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, every type can move in the healthiest direction of, of course, their type, but the two types they're connected to. Gotcha. What's the difference that you've seen in, in each other and in yourselves from like not really having great self-awareness, you know, before the Enneagram to where you are today? Yeah. Jeff, you want to take that? Um, I think for me, uh, the, one of the big benefits has been emotional balance. So I'm less reactive, I'm less provocative, um, and I am less suspicious. Well, let me, I don't, let me, I don't think that's true. I catch myself when I'm suspicious. How about that? <laughs> um, yeah, I'm less, I, I'm, I catch myself. That's what, that's the big point of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and I say this, I laugh more at my yeah. character defects. Yeah. Like I, I just told you that I'm hyper vigilant, anxious, suspicious guy. And I laughed about it. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not a laughter as in degrading. It is. Yeah. It's not it's shaming. Be, right. Because you now know the, the attributes of the six are so amazing and helpful and God honoring and glorifying that yeah, we have these silly things that we get caught up in that we get our minds um, fixated on and that derails us. And so the more we can have this sense of humor and laughter in a healthy way, in a kind way towards ourselves, the more it kind of loosens up and we no longer have to be constrained to these false thinkings and pretenses. We can take on things that we never thought were possible. Because it's like, why can't I think that my presence matters? Well, I can, you know? And so moving out of that constrained thought into a more freeing thought is really, really beautiful. Mm -hmm. So just as we're wrapping up, we always have a couple of questions that we love to ask all of our guests. And the first one is, what's one thing that is helping each of you right now just excel in life? Uh, time, pressure. <laughs> <laughs> so we have some, why, why I say that is as a nine, we can kind of procrastinate and kind of be easygoing and flow with the things, but I have some big deadlines um, and it keeps me active and moving and going for it and staying focused. Um, and of course, everything in me is like, let's just relax and chill. But those deadlines are like, no, this is good. This is right you know, we can do this and just keep moving forward. So for me, it's really bringing out the best in me, even though it's still extremely hard growth. That's the thing that people need to understand is there's no like life hack where it just gets easy. Like that, like growth is hard, but it's good. Mm -hmm. Jeff, what about you? Yeah. You know, there's probably one book that um, I had read several months ago, but it's principles I interact with on a regular basis in my own efforts to become more self-aware. And the book is called Boundaries for Your Soul. Uh, and it's an application of something called internal family systems, which 
uh, the Enneagram highlights to some degree, so it's kind of an integration of the two. But what it's been able to help me to do is that um, at any given moment, I can be both hopeful and fearful. I can be suspicious and trusting all at the same time. And it helps me to understand and nuance what all the emotions and all the inclinations that are going on inside. And which helps me then to not be so reactive in my relationships or my job or parenting, whatever it may be. I'm more present in the moment and more accepting of what's happening inside of me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And on that note, the next question is, you know, what's the best book or podcast or any type of resource that you've, you know, gone through recently? That's so funny. Well, <laughs> I've been, I've been Nick deep in my 10 books for this last year. Yeah, <laughs> It's so true. <laughs> so <laughs> I really haven't had a lot of time to dive into other people's books. So I guess I got to say my 10 books. So we have Becoming Us coming out mm-hmm. October 1st. And then in December, on December 10th, we'll have nine more books. They're gift book journals for people to take 21 days to get to know their type uh, more specifically so that they can grow and transform. And so, yeah, I've been a little bit more into my books (laughs) than other people's books. I would really, really love to have a recording of Beth saying, (laughs) I'm learning the most by reading my books 20 (laughs) times each. <laughs> that's like maybe the most healthiest nine thing you can ever say. Is, it's true. It's so is, true. Like, you know, the books that I'm learning the most from are my own. Are my own, which is like, it, it, and it's so funny because it's like the opposite of what a nine wants to say. But I was like, well, it is true because I'm reading about the Enneagram. You know, I have to go, you know, gosh, you have to, I don't know if people know this, but when you write a book, you literally have to read it a gazillion times, like through editing processes and stuff. So even I had 10 books and I've read those things each probably five times, all of them, mm-hmm. you know? And so, so yeah, I have, I have learned a lot more than I ever thought possible. So, yeah. but it's good. It's good. Can you go into a little bit more detail of like what each type of the, like the things that you're going to cover in each type? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so in the, they're called the Enneagram collection, uh, Harper Collins is going to be putting them out. And in those books, we're going to cover the real foundational elements for each of the types. So we're talking, um, wings, triads, and if people don't know what these are, that's okay. You'll learn as you uh, dive into these books. Um, so the triads, you're going to learn about the levels of health. We call it the levels of alignment with the truth of the gospel. Um, we talk about when you're under stress and growth, how the lines work, the Enneagram paths. And we also talk about childhood patterns and maybe one or two more things. I just can't remember, but each of those are segmented out into bite-sized lessons for 21 days. So people can really think and digest and absorb so that they can actually use it practically in their life. And there will be lines to journal in and questions to reflect on. So it's really designed for transformation on a much deeper level. So the next thing is, is who are some of your favorite people that you're learning from right now? And you mm. can't say yourself, Beth. I know. <laughs> <laughs> She's learning from me. <laughs> oh man. Uh, yeah, for me, um, 
I uh, have continued to benefit from all that John Gottman, the marriage researcher, has produced and continue to find him uh, very helpful as it applies to uh, doing marriage coaching with the Enneagram. And uh, here most recently, they published a blog post. They surveyed marriage therapists around the nation on like the top 10 books that they recommend to clients. And so I've just kind of been making my way through that list. But again, it comes back to me learning from John Gottman um, and trying to book. So we, we know the concepts behind the Enneagram and Gottman provides us what the application of that would be in uh, marriages. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I'd honestly say Jeff. <laughs> I learned, I, and he's probably like, wait, what? You actually listened to me? Um, <laughs> <laughs> but Jeff is like my cliff notes of all the things that he learned. So he's more of the one that absorbs knowledge. Um, that's what sixes are really great about, but he does such a wonderful job bringing them down in like he even did here on the show, three points or four points. And he just kind of rattles off. And so he gives me all the cliff notes versions of the things that he's learning. And it's awesome because if I don't have time to read or do things, I get to get this wonderful, um, impactful information just from him and then we discuss it so then it even it's almost like having my own little coach here at home where I get to learn things like probably never would have without him doing all the learning which he's probably like I cannot believe she's saying this because I didn't know she listened (laughs) (laughs) well I mean yeah my family does make fun of me Uh, they know that I'm going on a binge when Amazon books start arriving at my doorstep and I'm just diving in researching something and Beth knows that eventually it's going to come out with something that's going to help us with uh, your Enneagram coach or it's just kind of wrestling through something. And so I, I do the work and she reaps the benefits. That's I do. Great. I do. Thank you, Beth. I'll buy more books in light of that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and then uh, finally, what are you learning right now? Uh, trust. Hmm. Yeah. I would say trust and uh, just having patience. Um, God's, God's been doing a lot of stuff through our lives and in our lives. And there's a lot more that's coming, you know, with the release of the books and just waiting patiently and being steadfast, um, keeping our eyes fixated on him and not maybe all the problems that can pop up from day to day, which can be all consuming at times when you have your own business. So I think just really trust that he is sovereign. He is good. He's got us. Um, and then just being patient through that process. It's, it's really hard, but it's definitely um, been life changing. Yeah. And I, I agree with what Beth just said, because um, we are uh, partners in this business but our marriage really is the soil in which a lot of the business comes where the stories, where the concepts work themselves out. And so as we are, uh, our platform continues to grow and we're learning how to do, to be entrepreneurs, to be thought leaders and influencers. Um, we're also a married couple. And so the things we, we know the temptation to put the image on versus be who we really are and um, I've been, we've been really thankful for how grounded we are, how grounded our team is, um, to make sure that we're always creating resources that 
aren't something just to sell, but they're actually been useful for us and our team. Mm -hmm. Well, I know that people are going to want to pick up the book Becoming Us and your future books that are coming out too, Beth. So where's, <laughs> where's the best place for people to go to get the book and to keep updated with, you know, updates about what's happening with your Enneagram coach? Yeah. So the books are really everywhere right now. They can pre-order it. Um, Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, Books a Million. Um, so you can go ahead and get those. And I know at least on Amazon, I haven't checked some of the other sites. You can actually pre-order the Enneagram collection um, and they'll be great gifts for people. So if you know your best friend is a three or a two or your husband or your parents, whatever numbers they are, those will be excellent books to go ahead and just pre-order so that on December or 10th, they'll just come right to your door and you can wrap them up in your gift wrapping and send them to your loved ones. Um, and so those will be coming out as well. And yeah, so I, you know, the best place to be notified about what's going on is to follow us on Facebook or Instagram. Uh, you can go to at your Enneagram coach on both of those platforms. And there'll be all kinds of announcements of different specials that we're running, different opportunities to get on on free webinars and bonuses when you pre-order books. So that those would probably be the best places to yeah. keep up to date on what's happening. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for being on the podcast today. And thanks for, you know, just continuing to just invest and develop in people. Yeah. Thank awesome. you for having us. Okay. We are done recording. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you so much. Well, Beth and Jeff, thank you so much for being on the Kayla Mason podcast today. It was great talking with you and learning from you uh, about the Enneagram, something that I'm incredibly passionate about and learning about as well. And so once again, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Thanks for writing the book, Becoming Us as well. And really just for just for investing in people and helping them grow in their um, in their relationships and in their um, in their self-awareness and in their self-development as well. So thanks so much for doing that. As I mentioned, um, the music that you're listening to right now is provided by my good friend, Sam Massey. So reach out to him for any musical or video needs that you may have. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode of the Caleb Mason podcast and make sure that you don't miss a single episode. Subscribe to the podcast. It'll show up in your feed every time. Or if you happen to be on Spotify, hit that follow button as well. Or feel free to leave a rating and write a review of the podcast podcast on any uh, platform that you may be listening to as well. Thanks so much for listening to the Caleb Mason podcast. Until next time, keep learning and keep growing.